0: I want to start off by briefly recapping last week's message. This is like the 30-second Cliff's Note version. You're not going to get the whole point out of this. So if you weren't here last week, go listen to the message online. We podcast everything now that we can podcast. Um, but last week we talked about the guarantor part one, and we learned that Jesus is a permanent stabilizing presence in our life. This gives us hope because we know that he will never leave He will always be with us through everything we face, but the reason it was the guarantor part one is because the good news doesn't stop there, amen? This week, we're going to be looking at the guarantor part two, and this is where it gets really good. This is where it gets really, really, really good. In order to understand how good this good news is that Jesus is permanently with us, I need to use a human example to contrast it with. Can I have permission to do that? Amen? Come on, church, are you awake this morning? Is it too summary for you and you're like, I can't do this? So I am permanently, much to the chagrin of my children, a part of their life. Like even if I die, I'm still part of it. I mean, really, much, Dylan, as much as it agitates him, he acts just like me. <laughs> Ask his mother, and if you get or hang around with him a little bit, you'll be like, yes, he's his father's child. And, and Alicia, the same way. But anyways, I'm permanently part of their life. And and as being part of their life, what are the things that I do? I go to work. Some of you want to dispute that, but, but I do go to work. I make a paycheck. You know, I, I, I bring home financial provision to my family so that we can have groceries and so that we can have a house and we can have vehicles and we can have gas in the car and all of those kind of things. I discipline my kids. I provide for their physical and emotional needs. And, and even though I'm this permanent fixture that's doing all of these things in their life, there are times where I wreck it and wreck it actually pretty bad. I want to share some of those wrecks this morning with you. Now, you're going to be tempted to laugh about some of these wrecks, but trust me, the kids weren't laughing. When Dylan was was younger, we were over at a friend's house who's now in the ministry. He's a senior pastor of the original church that I planted now. And we were over at his house, and Dylan was very comfortable as a young boy in his manhood. And so he was riding uh larry's daughter's bike and it was a girl bike i mean it was totally a girl bike and for whatever the reason as dylan was riding this girl bike it decided that it was a feminist girl bike and did not want this man on it and he flipped over the handlebars now me being the dad that i am i rushed to him no no i didn't rush to him my wife's like, I think he needs to go to the emergency room. I'm like, he's fine. She's like, Jerry, I think his arm's broken. I'm like, it's, it's not broken. He's fine. And she walks and she goes, come here and look at this. It's hanging like this is his arm going out here, and it's hanging like this. He's, she's like, it's broken. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like the guy who's fighting the knights who say me, you know, or no, the black knight. It's only a flesh wound, <laughs> you know. So, but anyways, clearly his arm was busted. I messed up. I messed up. You know. Well, we were at Clarion, and and Dylan again, being being the lazy teenager that he is, didn't want to take the trash out all the time. You know, you know. And son, I'm sorry for calling you a lazy teenager, but you know, so it's, it's just for the sermon. I don't really mean it. But now. No, I just teasing. But anyways, we're just like, Dylan, you need to take the, the trash out. So now I maintain to this day that he was huffy. You guys know what Huffy is? <clears throat> <laughs> he says he wasn't Huffy. But I say if he was huff if he wasn't huffy, he wouldn't have got this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So we're sitting there waiting on him for dinner. And it's like you gotta understand we lived in the parsonage, like take the trash out the front door, go across the yard, cross one narrow parking lot that's probably, you know, thirty feet wide put it in the dumpster, turn around and come back to the to the house. We're waiting. It's like 10, 15 minutes. And we're like, what is he doing? And I don't remember if we hear the door banging. Alicia hears the door banging. And Dylan has drug himself all the way back to the parsonage door because he slipped on the ice and hurt his little ankle. <laughs> now, again being the good dad that I am. I brought him in, it didn't it didn't look swollen. I'm like, you just sprained it. He's like, no, it's broke. I'm like, it's just sprained, buddy. I mean sprains hurt really bad. No, we gotta And I'm like, we're gonna eat dinner and if it's not better after we're gonna ice it and all this stuff. So I took it and it was wintertime, ice on the ground, so so I did a good job, man. We put it in we put it in ice and I packed snow around the top of it to, you know, really get it good and cold. Cause I am an awesome dad. <laughs> Oh, you're right. I'm not awesome. Thank you. Oh, totally got rebuked. Ah, I said we weren't going to be legalistic about it, Stacy. <laughs> Next week, we'll be having a farewell party for Stacy. So <laughs> but anyways, because I'm a good dad and not awesome. Only God's awesome. But anyway, so so I'm this good dad, you know. So I'm like, you know, I'm really icing it down. Now, why did I pack the snow around it? Because we didn't have a bucket deep enough, you know, to get his ankle all the way down in it. And so, you know, when you ice your ankle in a good ice bath, man, it burns even if it hurts even if it wasn't hurting, right? And so he is just squirrely. He is not enjoying this at all. So finally, long story short, I finally break down after dinner, and I'm like, fine, we'll take him to the doctor. He had to have surgery. <laughs> he's, got, he's got two little plates and a, and a Kevlar thread in his ankle for the rest of his life because of this. I, clearly, I'm not awesome. <laughs> so, Alicia. While we're in Clarion, by the way, there, we think in the Clarion Hospital there's a breed love wing at this point. We've really funded it well, we think. Um, so anyways, so I'm, I'm there doing what dads do. Ron Schwab can relate to this. I don't know this particular illustration, but the basics of it. I was playing Gran Turismo, and, like, the kids didn't want to get in front of the TV. Amen. I know that, you know, some of you dads, you know, you play a video game every now and again. So, Now, I didn't say that Alicia could go in front of the TV, but... As I'm racing in this race car game, man, this hot little Ferrari just shoots by me. It was Alicia (laughs) trying to run past the screen, catches her leg on the coffee table, flies through the air, hits the wall, and she's crumpled and she's crying. And I get her up and, you know, she's, oh, and we're trying to move stuff. We don't see anything broken or whatever. And I'm like, you know, the way she caught herself, she might have tore a rotator cuff. But we'll have to wait, you know. We'll they'll have to do an MRI to figure all that out. We'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. <sighs> well, you know where this is going. She'd broken it, right? She'd broken her her shoulder. And, you know, and then and she will tell you that I'm a really bad dad because... They wanted to put her in physical therapy, and I've had extensive physical therapy on my shoulder, and I knew all the exercise they wanted to do, so I said, no, we're not paying for this. I'll do it at home. Now, she can use it all again, but uh, once the break was done, we'd get in the range of motion back. So anyway, as you can clearly see, I have some issues. Even though I'm permanently involved in my kid's life, I have some issues where I'm not always on target. I know it's surprising. Cause I look like I got it all together. I'm like I'm like uh, I'm like Wilbur off of Charlotte's Web. That's some pig. You know? <laughs> so some of you who have never seen Charlotte's Web, go look at it. You'll get the reference. But anyway, Jesus is way better at taking care of us than I am. My kids. That, that's the truth of the matter. Jesus is way better at this than I am with my kids. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 22. Now last week we did 22 to 25, this week we're doing 22 to 28. We want to get this whole concept going, we want to see how this is all working together. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with this sermon, but I want you to answer it. And I want you to answer it out loud. I want you to... to, Clap, you don't have to answer out loud. Clap if, you, if you're affirmative, and don't clap if you're negative, okay? So if you think that so far this Hebrew series, we're 36 lessons into it, and I think people were scared, thinking it was going to get old hat. But if you think so far 36 lessons through Hebrews has been a good thing, clap. And if you think it's a horrible thing, don't clap. Okay. This is called immediate feedback, because sometimes people, you won't amen me, so I got to figure out if it's connecting, right, some way or another. So, uh, but anyway, 36 lessons in, and we're in chapter 7. We'll probably be doing this for at least another year and a half. But, um, but let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 22. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and you guys know the rest of my spiel. Uh, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses high priests, but the word but the word of the oath which came later than the law It appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray. Father, you are the only one that's awesome, like Stacy pointed out as I said that about my dadness, but you're the only awesome dad. You are our dad in heaven, our Abba. And you love us even when we are totally rebelling against you you love us even when we're thumbing our noses at you and going our own way you love us and you provide this stabilizing element in our life that we know is Jesus this great high priest who's holy who's unstained lord we know that he continues forever but Father, would you speak to us today about what that means for our lives and how we can grow in our faith? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, Amen. So, the passage that we just read shows that Jesus is a different type of intercessor than I am or actually any other human intercessor. Now, I realize there's a spiritual gift of intercession, praying for people. But, Nobody does that perfectly, except for Jesus Christ. He's different. Now, first of all, his difference in intercession, we learned last week, was that Jesus is a better intercessor because he's a permanent intercessor via his indestructible life. I don't want to dwell on this too long. I, I preached a message on indestructible life, and I preached a message on his permanence, and, and you've all heard those messages. But his, mess, or his permanence in our life, his indestructible life, means he's a stabilizing presence. Verses 24 and 25 say that. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost, Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. But his being better at it, it doesn't just rest on his permanence. It's not solely tied up in the fact that he's there forever. Jesus is a better intercessor as well because his personal character is above reproach. Verse 26 and 28 say this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. We have a high priest who has perfect character. Let that sink in. You think of the holiest person that you can think of in your mind. If you have your little sermon note thing inside of your bulletin or some little piece of paper, I want you to take and I want you to lay it long ways. Lay it long ways. And I want you to write that person's name on the left side. The holiest person you can think of. Write their name on the left side. So if you have your piece of paper, you're going to take it. You're going to orient it like this. You're going to write their name on the left side. Okay. Write their name on the holiest person you can think of. Okay? And on the right corner, I want you to write the most evil person you can think of. You can't put Satan. Human being. The most evil person you can think of. Okay? On the left hand corner, lower left hand corner. So you might write holiest person you can think of, Matt Deal. And (laughs) most evil person you can think of, Jerry Breedlove. I don't know. You know, whatever. Right? But I want you to write them on opposite corners okay now if you've done that now what i want you to do is i want you to take that and I, the most holy person is on the right hand side i want you to take that right corner and tip it up okay now we're going to imagine that the furthest galaxy away from us is is god's perfection and it's straight that way here's the most evil person down on the bottom of the paper and the most holy person's on the top of the paper and that's about how much closer that person really is to god's perfection than you are which in a relative scope of things puts you guys pretty much in the exact same place okay you don't believe me read the book of james it says if you keep the entire law yet stumble at just one point you're guilty of breaking every law if you lie to mama one time, you're the same as a murderer. Like we have these pet sins that are worse. That's not biblical. That's human. That's not a biblical concept. There's no varying levels of sin. With God, it's black or white. It's right or wrong. There is no gray. Barlow Girl, another modern-day psalmist, sang about this. Gray is my favorite color. Black and white has never been my thing. There is no There is no gray. It's either right or it's wrong. If it's right, then we should encourage everybody to do it. If it's wrong, then we should encourage everybody to not do it. No different rules for adults and for children. If it's wrong for the kids, it's wrong for you, mom and dad. So stop it. Amen. Amen. I got like four or five parents that are like, amen. The rest of you are like, I don't think so. If it's wrong for them, it's wrong for you. There are no different set of rules for different believers. Anyway, but you think about that. The holiest person that you wrote down, maybe you wrote down Mother Teresa or maybe you wrote down this person or that person, they're no closer to God's perfection than Hitler or Osama Bin Laden or that person that you wrote down that you can't even stomach to think about. I mean, this is how perfect God's character is. He's holy. This is why I say He's the only one we can call awesome. Nothing compares to Him. Nothing compares to Him. And Jesus is a better intercessor because of that perfect character. Character. He doesn't have that sin in his life cluttering it up and messing him up. When he listens to the Father, he hears the Father perfectly. I'm not saying I don't hear the Father. I'm not saying that you don't hear the Father. But let's be honest. Sometimes our personal baggage gets in the way. Can I get a witness? Anybody, has that ever happened to you? Amen? Come on now. Be honest. Your personal baggage gets in the way. But see, Jesus is a perfect intercessor because he's got perfect character. He never has any of that stuff get in his way. Let me say it another way Jesus never sinned, nor will he ever sin. This is important. I can't drive this home deep enough. It's important because for two reasons. First one, Jesus isn't caught up trying to fix his own problems. He's able to focus solely on yours. I, I see this a lot with, with godly people who love people and they want to intercede. It's called projection. Projection. So I see Matt's life, and, and Matt and I, we're out fishing, and we're talking, and Matt's got an issue that he's bringing up, and I start projecting my problems onto Matt. And I've been so worried about my problems, dealing with my problems, I start telling Matt how to fix my problems, but pretending like they're his problems. And I am, I am, I'm certain I'm the only one that's ever done that, right? I mean, all of us have issues. It's the most common thing I see happen in the church. When we're counseling, when we're guiding people, we start projecting our issues onto them. Let me give you another way it happens. It's kind of not the same, but it is the same. Well, I heard, you know, Bobby came and talked to me and she was concerned. And she's got a, a, a pretty big issue with the sermon you preached last Sunday, Pastor. And I say, oh, okay, well, tell Bobby to come talk to me. But in my mind, you know what I do? I go, because Sarah's the one that told me. I say, oh, Sarah has a problem with what I preached last Sunday because she's projecting onto Bobby her problems. Like when people, like we do that. That's what we do. We got our own issues. And so we project them onto everybody else. I guarantee you, if somebody comes and voices a concern to you that somebody else has with you, that person has it. Now, maybe the other person has it too, but the one telling you has the same problem. Mark it down. Okay? But see, Jesus doesn't do that. So you know, like when Jesus is interceding and he comes to you and, and he's, he's leaning on you and he's like, Dale, you, you, really, you really need to consider sending those kids to that Christian school. That he's not convicted that he needs to send his kids to the Christian school. He's telling you that you need to do it because he doesn't have any baggage. Right? And you're like, I don't know if I want to invest that money. But see, when Jesus is interceding in his perfect character and he begins to talk into it, you know it's your issue and not his issue. When he's like, hey, you know, John... You really need to trust God and start giving to the Great Commission Fund. And I'm not saying that either of these guys are rebelling against God in these areas. You know that it's not Jesus' issue where he's not supporting missions. It's your issue. When he comes and he says, you know, Reba, you really ought to start coming to youth group more consistently and and stop uh, going and running the streets on Wednesday night. Reba comes to youth group quite a bit, actually. But you see, you know that it's, Reba's issue. And not Jesus' issue. When he comes and he tells you that you need to deal with your anger. Or your sexual perversion. Or your lack of, of, of tithing. Or that you need to be baptized. Or that you need to be a part of a training ground class. Or a small group. Or you need to step up and volunteer for this ministry. Or you need to look over at the person in the cubicle next to you at work and share your faith with them. Or fill in the blank with whatever he's pressuring you to do, whatever he's leaning on you to do. You know, because he's perfect, it's your issue, not his. Because he doesn't sin. He doesn't rebel. He's in perfect unity with the Father. And this is a good thing. I mean, he's not caught up trying to fix his own problem. So when he speaks to you, it's definitely about your problem. I want to point out something else. When he speaks to you, it's about your problem, not Sarah's problem. Or Jim's problem. Or Mark's problem. Now, I'm not saying that he can't speak into your life to help somebody else, but I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. Get the doggone log out of your own eye before you get the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. It's your problem. Every message I preach, it's to me first before it's to you. The second way this is so important is that Because of his perfection and holiness, his intercession for you is always in perfect alignment with the Father's will for you. Let's look at verse 26 to 28 again. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as a high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You guys are going, I don't know. I don't know, preacher. Does that really say in that passage of Scripture that, God, that His will... I mean, you might be able to accept that His will is perfect for you and it's perfectly in line with the Father's will, but you're struggling to go, I don't know if that passage of Scripture says that. Now... I want to do something that I rarely do. Don't laugh, I really rarely do this. I want to go to another passage of Scripture. Now you think, no, you do that every week with homework. No, no, we're going to go to the passage of Scripture and actually read it today. So I want you to keep your finger in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 7, right? Right where you're at. But I want you to go ahead and in your Bible I want you to open up to Romans chapter 8. And the passage that I want you to look at in Romans chapter 8 starts in verse 26. Okay? So, while you're turning there, keep your finger in Hebrews 7, go find Romans 8, 26. Now, in verse 25 of Hebrews 7, and in verse 7 of Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God inspired the authors to use a form of the same Greek word. Now, the words are both a form of intuncano, which you see at the top of the slide. On this side, on the left, is the Greek, and on the right is an English transliteration of it, except for I took a little liberty, I capitalized the E. There are no capital letters anywhere in the New Testament. They're all, it's all in lowercase. Every single letter is lowercase in the entire New Testament. So, but he uses, they both authors, Yes, I, I think they're different authors. I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. But, um, but, but they use the same word here, in, uh, a form of it, in intunkano. And the definition of this word is pretty simple and straightforward. Okay, we're not going to get caught up in the nuances of the definition. It's just important about the same word. It means to intercede for someone, to appeal to the king on their behalf, or to intervene for them not too complicated amen it's pretty simple right and the power of this word is not in the nuance of its definition like sometimes i show the words because of the, in the greek because of the nuance of the definition and we're kind of missing a piece of it we we do a pretty god uh, yeah translation please oh i got it we do a pretty doggone good job of translating this word okay <clears throat> in the two different places but it's how the word is used in both places that really sheds some light on it. So let's read the second place. I'm going to read the Romans passage out of the ESV. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, that Spirit is capitalized in your translation because it's the Greek word that indicates God's Holy Spirit. Okay? So God's Holy Spirit, God himself helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought... But the spirit himself intercedes. Now, this particular, particular usage of it is hyperintuncano. Okay? It's hyperintuncano. You know what I just tried to say. It's hyperintuncano. So what was the word? Intuncano. And so we put a hyper on the front of it. Right? It's a form of this word, intuncano. So it's hyperintuncano. So the spirit does this for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches the hearts knows what and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit in 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 which is another form of that word right he intercedes for us for the saints according to the will of god Now, let's just give me a pause real quick. It's a trick question. If you're born again, and you're a sinner, raise your hand. Two of you put them down. You are not. Jesus in Hebrews chapter 7 is separated from sinners. If he's in you, you're not a sinner anymore. And he says right here, he he only intercedes for saints, not sinners. You're not a sinner. Rise up and walk in victory. It's a trick question. It's always going to be a trick question. If you're born again, you are not a sinner. So stop acting like one. All right. Moving on. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As we know, or excuse me, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, means made you holy and righteous, declared you perfectly clean, a.k.a. not a sinner. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Whoa. Thought he didn't share his glory with anybody. Well, he's glorified when he's glorified in you. Anyway. In verse 26 of this passage in Romans, it it argues that I don't even know how to effectively pray for myself, let alone another person. And that's what it says. I, I, don't don't just take my word for it go back and read it likewise the spirit of God helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for you don't even know how to pray for you let alone me but the spirit of God is perfect and he knows This is why it's so pertinent for me to teach you as a pastor how to hear the voice of God in your life. He's actively speaking, and He doesn't just use the Bible. I said He doesn't just use the Bible. He uses Scripture. He also speaks to us through our circumstances, through impressions the Holy Spirit gives, through prophetic utterances, words of knowledge. I mean, He's a charismatic God, and let me just tell you, the charismatic hasn't faded away because it says in Romans chapter 3 excuse me it's romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death but the charisma which is where we get the word charismatic the charisma or the charismatic not the, it's it's actually mistranslated it sh- shouldn't be necessarily gift the charisma of god is eternal life in jesus christ our lord you want to know what the initial charismatic gift that everybody gets is eternal life he's a charismatic god supernatural I need you to be able to hear his voice though and for you to start learning how to do this, hearing his voice because you don't know how you're supposed to pray but the spirit of God knows how you're supposed to pray and he'll tell you and even if you don't hear him, he's still doing it. I messed up with my kids. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I packed Dylan's leg in ice and snow because I thought it was sprained. My wife is probably building a case right now in her head. This is why she's more godly than I am because she wanted to go to the doctor because she knew. She's probably right. But do you see my point, guys? I messed up. I couldn't even take care of those little earthly needs. This passage tells me, though, that that, however, Jesus, via his Holy Spirit, intercedes perfectly for me. Asking God's flawless will for my life. Don't believe me? Let's read that again. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes. It's It's that form of that word out of Hebrews chapter 7. He intercedes for the saints according to the saints will no according to pastor jerry's will no according to the elders will no according to the christian and missionary alliances will no according to the will of god now please don't misunderstand something i'm saying every idea that you get in your head is not from jesus It seems like I should not have to say that, but listen, I stood at Clarion University in a campus crusade meeting where a very prominent pastor in our area told those college students, as they were saying, how do I discern the will of God? He used this kind of thing. God speaks to you, he intercedes, and so anything that you can come up with, if it's an idea that comes in your head and you're born again, it's from God. And I said, no, it's not, brother. No, it's not. I come up with all kinds of bad ideas that I know aren't of God because I see in the scripture where there's sin. So please don't run away from this and go, whatever I dream up, but Jesus is with me. No. He's there probably going, stop it. <laughs> we come up with crazy stuff sometimes. But he intercedes perfectly. He asks for God's flawless will for your life. Now, there's another passage that we're not going to look at in our homework and we're not going to turn there in Romans where it says that if we present ourselves... in, in to God as living sacrifices that we'll be able to discern God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. And a lot of people, I've heard people actually preach this, that God has three wills. No, He doesn't. He doesn't have three wills. Let's say what's well, He's got a good will, He's got an acceptable will, and He's got a perfect will. And so, this one's okay, and this is like, you know, like, like this is like JV, and, and then this is, then the, then the, the acceptable one, well that's the That's like you're on the varsity team. That's like his his A-league will for you, but you're not a starter. And then his perfect will is you're a starter in the game. Uh, Heresy! (laughs) (laughs) He does not! He's got one will for your life. It's good. It's a good will. It's morally upright and correct. When you tell me that God is leading you to sin, I say, no, he isn't. He doesn't sin. He's good. And he has a good will for you. That's not sin. So don't tell me that the sin's the only way. No, it's not. It's acceptable in that if you are yielded to him, you will say, I accept your will. Keynote being there, you're yielded to him. And it's perfect. It is not messed up. We try to outthink God all the time. But God, you don't know. Mortgage company told me if I'm late one more time. They're taking the house. My pastor's a jerk. I can't go to church there. You know, whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? He intervenes perfectly. Asking for God's flawless will in your life. This ultimately means that everything that is going on in my life, even the places where I grievously sin against God and others, is being used by God to draw me closer to Him. Now again, this is not permission to go sin it up. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, what, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Finish it for me, go ahead, aloud. What, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. Romans chapter 10. Verse 25 and 26, if we go on sinning after receiving knowledge of the sin, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but instead a fearful expectation of judgment and of the fury of fire to come. To New Testament believers, he says that. Hmm. Means stop sinning. Like he said to the woman caught in the act of adultery, he didn't say, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and do what you want to do. He said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He's the only person that could have thrown rocks at her, and he didn't. But he didn't just say, now go live it up and go sin it up and do your thing. He said, now go and stop it. You've been given a second chance. Everything that's going on in your life, that struggle that you're having at work, That sin that you keep struggling with. That secret sin that nobody knows about. Your wife or your husband doesn't even know about it. God is using that in your life. All of the good things, all of the blessings. God is using it in your life. You know why? Because He intercedes perfectly. And he knows what's going on with you. And He knows what you need to do. He knows how you need to address it. He knows how you need to get closer to Him. He knows the things that you need to trust Him on. God is aware of the whole thing. He knows the beginning from the end. He wants you to trust Him. When you look at it and you say, there is no way I'm looking at this. There's no way this is going to work. He says, come on, child. Trust me. Trust me. And people trust him. And sometimes people die. They saw oh, it wasn't what God wanted. Well, we know it wasn't God's general will death wasn't supposed to come into the world it came in through sin so yeah you're right in one sense it wasn't but god knew and it says in that passage in romans chapter 8 that all things how many things church now come on like you believe it how many things things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose And he predestined you. Now listen to me. Not predestined in the sense of you have no will, no way to do it. Predestined is a Greek word, proteizo, and it means to mark out a boundary beforehand. It's like the bounds of a football field. They're boundary lines. You can actually leave the football field during the game and be called out of bounds. It doesn't mean that you're locked into something where you have to follow him and you have no choice. The Greek word doesn't mean that at all. Again, it's rizzo, Feel free to look it up. It means to mark out a bound before him, but you can go out of bounds. But he uses all things as he's predestined you. He's taken all of that sin, all of that baggage. This is really the crux of the whole matter. I, I want to just point this out. I'm going to pound on this a little bit, okay? I'm begging you to trust him. Preaching a message like this kind of concerns me in a way. Because I'm wondering if something bad's getting ready to happen that I don't know about. Because he said, This is the point today. Implore them, beg them to trust me that I have control of this, that I'm using all of it. When you sit down and you're talking to him, you're trying to talk to him, and you feel like the conversation is only one way, trust him. He's using that. when your heart is broken, He's using that. When you couldn't pay that bill, He's using that. When you found out that your son or your daughter was on drugs, He's using that. When you find out that they've been being promiscuous, He's using that. When you find out that your husband or your wife had an affair on you, he's going to use that in your life. I'm not saying that he wanted all these things. He doesn't want us to sin, but we have free will, and he's using it. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? I look at a room full of people right now that sometimes struggle trusting God, but I have never seen any of you as of yet struggle trusting these new chairs. You come in and you sit down on them every single week believing they will hold you. And they are not awesome chairs. But your God is awesome. And he will Hold you. He will keep you. But like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if he doesn't, I will not bow down. Even if he slay me, I will not bow down. I will. Trust him. Church, he's calling us to trust him. And you can know out of these two passages, we see that Jesus is interceding for us. He's a great high priest. Go back to the Romans. You kept your finger there, right? Go back to, or excuse me, back to the Hebrews. You kept your finger there. Go back. It says that he lives in verse 25 to make intercession in Tunkano. He lives to make intuncano. And we saw in the Romans chapter 8 that that intunchano is perfectly in line with the Father's will for our life. Jesus never sins. He's holy. He's perfect. He's unstained. When He intercedes, He's doing the right thing every single time. I'm not saying these are easy messages to accept. They're certainly not. But when we come to the place where we say, okay, God, I believe you, friends, then faith begins to well up in us. I don't understand. I have to be honest with you. I don't understand people who decide to follow Jesus and then turn back. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I don't get it. I seriously don't get it. I wonder sometimes when when they decide to turn back if, if they ever really decided to follow him truthfully. Jesus says that a man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Now you guys may or may not know this, but my high school years I grew up running a really big tractor across really big fields out in kansas the fields here are small in comparison everything's flat in kansas and it's set out by a mile by a mile a quarter of a section which was pretty common field was 160 acres but usually 640 acre fields happened all the time do you know how you do you take a disc or a chisel, and you put a straight line across a 640-acre field from one corner to the other, because we always do it diagonal, we never do it in straight lines, I don't know why. Do you know how to do that? You put your eyes on something on the horizon, and you look dead at it the entire time, and I promise you, when you get to the other side, and look back, it's straight. But if you look back while you're driving, it will go all over the place. So I don't understand people who look back. There's an old song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, Still, I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. When Jesus invaded my life, he radically turned it upside down. You think that I'm a turkey now sometimes? You should have known me 12 years ago. Seriously, you wouldn't have spit on me to put me out if I was on fire. I was that big of an idiot. He radically invaded my life and he changed me. And yet I watch people all the time. They go, oh, well, I'll follow you for a little bit, Jesus. And then they turn back. Oh, I got caught up in this sin. I'm just going to give up and lay here. And they turn back. I'm not trying to stand up here and tell you I'm perfect. Man, I get caught up in sin. I'm not telling you that sometimes the temptation doesn't come into my mind to turn back. But I say, no, no. On April the 15th, 2002, I put a stake in the ground and I said I would do whatever you wanted for the rest of my life. I would not argue with you. I would not explain to you why you're wrong. If you will let me live, I will follow you with everything I have. Some of you need to put a stake in the ground today. Some of you haven't believed that God's perfect will for your life was being brought to pass. You haven't believed that all things, even your sin, are used by God to accomplish His will in your life. Some of you need to come forward maybe, or maybe you just need to get down on your knees right where you're at, right there at your chair, and have a little altar there and say... On July 20th, this is the 20th today, right? July 20th, I'm putting a stake in the ground. July 20th, 2014, I'm putting a stake in the ground to say, Jesus, I trust that you're interceding perfectly according to the Father's will, that you've brought me to this place. You've led me here. And I will follow You've put me in the marriage that I'm in that I'm thinking about trying to get out of. But I'm putting the stake in the ground to say no matter what happens, I will follow you. You've put me in this church and no matter how big of an idiot my pastor becomes or the elders become or the deacons become or the ministry coordinators become, I will follow. You've put me in this community and no matter how scary it gets and how long I have to look for a job, I will trust you and follow He wants to accomplish His will. I believe with all my heart that God has spoken a prophetic word repeatedly over this area and that it is no longer going to be known for the crude oil that comes out of the ground, but it is going to be known for the oil of His anointing and it's coming from multiple people, some of which have no... No clue about this area. It's been prophesied all over the country that Western PA is going to be the place where the next great awakening breaks out in our country. We are in the middle of it. Will you follow? Come on, church. Will you follow? Very briefly, as the elders come, and not the elders, the band comes to do something for for an altar call. Here's the homework this week. Monday, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Tuesday, Romans 8, 9 through 17. Wednesday, Romans 8, 18 through 25. Thursday, Romans 8, verses 26 through 30. Friday, Romans 8, 31 through 39. And then Saturday, Hebrews 7, 22 through 28, what I just preached through. May you say, Pastor, this is a little bit different. You did, you did a passage, like a big passage of Scripture two weeks in a row for homework. Yes, because guys, listen to me. This Romans chapter 8 thing, what I'm asking you to commit to do, and some of you I know are ready to do it right now. Some of you are still afraid. For those of you who are still afraid, I want you to see in this Romans chapter 8 passage, That he is saying, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Why should we be afraid? That I haven't taken this passage, uh, verse 26 through 30, out of context. That even in the midst of all the garbage that's going on in our life, he's saying, trust me and follow. Trust him. Would you come and simply meet him at the cross? I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to trust you so much, and yet we confess to you that we sometimes struggle with this. Lord, meet with us during this time of of ministry and help us to follow you no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.